Hey everybody, you're listening to The Compod. An unfiltered look at life at Idaho's first medical school, as told by students, faculty, and staff. And we're your hosts, Dr. Dennis Rao, Stephanie Dillon, and Brian Atkinson. Hey everybody, welcome back to the 2021 version of the Compod. New Year, same Compod. No. No. Oh, yeah, welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, ringing in the new year is the Compod 2021 with your host, Dennis Rao, Stephanie Dillon, and Brian Atkinson. We're here to, I don't know, talk about. Osteopathic medical stuff, I guess. Yeah. We're going to talk about money today. Was that anticlimactic? <laughs> oh, money. Oh. We're talking about money today, yeah. honey, because we have Nicole McMillan, our director of financial aid, joining Yay. us today. Are you Yay. double masking? No. Really? I Am I supposed I to? something peeking out the edge there. It's no? a two-layer mask. Two-layer wow. mask. You've gotten so Two layers. Yeah. yeah. Double yeah. masking would be about a quarter of what Dennis does. Yeah. yeah. I like to yeah, uh, quadruple is, mask. Yeah. What was that story? Did you guys remember the story? This is way off topic, but there was a story, a book, a children's book about a man who would sell hats and he had like 10 hats on his head. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. That's Dennis, but with the with 10 masks. masks. The man who has masks <laughs> on his head. Ten hat mask man. <laughs> <laughs> the 10 face masked man. <laughs> Oh, uh, there is something susical about you, I think. Thank you. In a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We've, missed, we've missed having you here in person. I know you have. <laughs> That's why you came today. <laughs> That's why I'm here. <laughs> but anyway, okay, back to our guest, Nicole. Welcome. This is your first time on the podcast. It is. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. She's doing so well. I know. She's going to fit right in. So we chose this topic for this episode of the podcast because... In our last episode, we had our recruiter, Ellie Matthews, on here. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned that financial aid is one of the top questions that she gets no matter where she goes. So we thought, why not bring in an expert to talk about how to finance your way through medical school? Thank you. I'll take it from here. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I I did it, or I'm still doing it, but I don't know that much about it. Well, maybe you'll learn something today, too. I know. I am certainly not doing it efficiently. So let's see if I can pick up any pointers yeah so nicole how do you finance your medical education what do you tell students who are looking to come to medical school and how to prepare financially for it so we do have uh, a couple different options we the by far the majority of our students use private medical school specific education loans and that's because those loans offer better terms and conditions that are unique to individuals uh, pursuing a career in medicine and oh. basically that means that while they're in residency they're not expected to be in repayment so they allow the student to get their feet under them uh, whereas a lot of other traditional more traditional or federal student loans only allow a six-month grace period before you would go into repayment so that would be something we talk to our students about also because if they're coming into medical school with prior student loans, then they need to know what to expect while they're here. Oh, that's so good to know. Oh. And especially because in residency, you're not making that much. Is that right, Dr. Rao? Well, most people aren't. I was pulling in a <laughs> couple hundred Gs, but no, it's, it's pretty slim pickings. Mm. Yeah. So you've got something coming in, but really just enough to pay for 
food and your housing oftentimes and a little bit of money for maybe some extras. But mm-hmm. yeah, there isn't much, much extra to go around. That's good to know. I didn't realize that was an option. And so, but if they've got loans from uh, another program somewhere, those may only have a six-month grace period. So they may be paying back loans while they're in medical school. It is possible that that could happen, uh, especially since we are not eligible for federal loans as of yet. Uh, The student, we always encourage the student to look into forbearance options that would be available to them to see if they would qualify. And that's similar where it's just delaying when you start repayment. And if they aren't eligible for that, then there are uh, under the federal loan programs, there's a lot of different repayment options. So because our students can't work while they're in school, they may not have income. And there are income-driven repayment plans where they're determining your monthly payment mm-hmm. amount right. off of mm-hmm. your income. Yeah. So since our students have medical school as their full-time job, what do you guys encourage um, students to take out as far as an amount like just do they just cover tuition or do they want to cover tuition and living? How do you break that down for them? Yeah. So it's unique to each individual what what they need to help cover their expenses. But we do set a cost of attendance for each class. And it's set by each class because the length of each of our years is different. So our OMS 1 students are attending a different length of time than 2 and 3 and 4. So we do set it by um, how long they're in attendance. That's why it's called cost of attendance because it's helping them cover their costs while they're attending. Uh, And we post that every spring to our website for students and then obviously send it out to our students so that they they know what's in it. Um, it's a pretty standard practice across all financial aid offices that the institution is setting the cost of attendance for the school. Uh, so it includes tuition fees, different living expenses, personal travel, uh, insurance. Our students are required to have insurance, so it also includes insurance in there. And in order to arrive at the figures that we do for the living portion of that, we actually use national statistics and surveys, so Census Bureau data, uh, different things like that to help set it so that we're setting it each year based on the most current information we have. So it happens every year. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'll make sure to put a link to the cost of attendance in the episode notes if anybody's curious and wants to check it out. Yeah. So what is the situation with, and when does it become um, pertinent, the students' past, like credit history and, th- and things like that, as they come into looking at, do they qualify for these types of loans? Yeah, so the lenders look at a number of factors, and each lender has its own, basically its own rubric that they would set of how they're weighting the factors. So that would include length of credit history, your credit score, the type of credit you're using, uh, credit utilization, the min to the max of all of your accounts, how much are you utilizing within there. But then they're also weighing out debt to income. Some lenders look at how much prior student loan debt you have and repayment history. So there's a lot of factors that would be reviewed. And the, the lender is looking at that to determine if, they, if you're a good risk mm-hmm. to offer a loan to but then they also use it to set the interest rate that they give you. Mm. So the better uh, that those things are in your profile or the stronger 
potentially of a, a cosigner that you have, you could get a, a lower interest rate than somebody who maybe has some more risk factors. Sure, sure. So what is the um, situation with federal loans and credit score, and do you qualify? Do they tend to be less stringent? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, schools that have federal aid, the student fills out a FAFSA, and that is basically to determine if they're eligible for unsubsidized federal student loans. For medical students, those loans have both an annual and an aggregate lifetime cap to them. So typically, uh, especially at a, a private medical school, that loan on its own wouldn't be enough to help the student cover all of the costs of attending. So the other alternative that is out there is called a Graduate PLUS loan, also a federal loan, but that loan does look at credit. And it looks at credit differently than a private lender would look at credit because it's looking for the absence of adverse credit history. So really they're just looking that you haven't done something to, to like pay late or otherwise have detrimental information on your credit report. Okay. And then same with that one, I would say not every student would qualify on their own. So it is possible even with that loan that a student may need a co-signer. In general, at most schools, would you say that everybody in a typical typical class for a school that's eligible for Title IV loans is is on federal loans, or is it sort of a mix and match, or is it, you know, what, what would you say, 50-50, or just a tiny yeah. percentage of folks that are generally looking at um, non-federal or private loans? So that's a good, that's a good question. There's some things that would make you not eligible for a federal loan. So if you had reached one of those annual or aggregate caps, if mm -hmm. you had defaulted. So stuff on your uh, undergraduate, if your undergraduate university was super expensive and you hadn't paid anything off, you can get capped at a certain point. Yeah, uh, undergrad's its own limit, and then grad becomes uh, a, a secondary okay. limit. Um, but there are, there are reasons why somebody may not qualify for federal aid. There's also reasons why some people choose not to apply for federal aid. Um, so, you know, I would say at other institutions that I've been at, which are not medical schools and have a more high need population that upwards of 80 to 90% of students use federal aid. Gotcha. I'd be curious to see like when we qualify, once our inaugural class matriculates, how the subsequent classes apply for and use aid. Yeah. That'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see just how the demographics of the class change or don't change, stay mm -hmm. the same. Do we start to open up to people from other regions or is it still the same folks that, that are interested? You know, did it, did it really make a difference or, or not? And yeah, I would say uh, having the private loans does definitely shape our class a little bit differently than if we had federal loans. Uh, I think knowing that upfront that some students opt out of the process. Uh, we never even see them. We may never see yeah, them. Yeah. And they may, they may go through the interview process and then d decide to, um, to not pursue ICOM as an alternative for their medical education. But I would say, you know, even though we can't really say how it is shaping yeah. our class, that it's definitely, it already has shaped sure. the, the student population we have. Yeah, it does have an impact for sure. Um, another way that uh, many of our students choose to finance is through um, HPSP. Would you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. 
So um, HBSP is Health Professions Scholarship Program through one of the branches of the military, so Army, Air Force, or Navy. If a student is interested in that program, they start uh, by reaching out to a health professions recruiter through the branch that they're interested in. And it is a, a pretty selective process. It's, there's a limited number in each branch across the entire U.S. So everybody across the U.S. is competing for those same, same spots. Uh, the way that it works if you're selected is that they cover tuition and fees and other mandatory fees. So like for us, that would be insurance through the school. What are, and the, then what are the, like the magnitude of the numbers? Are we talking about 100, a million, yeah, so Thousands. I don't. Uh, we've tried to track that down oh, in okay. in the past, uh, and haven't gotten real clear mm. <laughs> answers. We do know that Army seems to have the most spots to fill. And these are just for physicians in training. It's just for students going into okay. to a medical. So you can imagine like that the military medicine. doesn't need hundreds of thousands of physicians in there, yeah. but well, uh, I'm sure they have caps for like physicians dentists, that right. sort of thing. Yeah. And they all kind of fall within the HPSP umbrella, yep. nurses, that sort of thing. Yeah. So uh, they do cover the costs. They provide a monthly stipend to the student. Uh, if you are selected for a four-year, you might be eligible for a signing bonus. So uh, on the end, on the other side of that, the, what happens if you got a four-year scholarship, then you owe back four years of service to the branch that you received the scholarship from but it is a it's a if a student's interested in it that's a great way to pursue funding for education we have over 30 students between our three classes that are currently receiving that scholarship Fabulous! that's amazing and then when it comes time to match they participate in the military match right they can for residency yes. yeah well, so it's a little different of a pathway. Yeah, I don't mm -hmm. know really anything about that. <laughs> We'd have to bring Dr. Bennett on for don't that one, right? Yes. That's another one. Yes. <laughs> That's another episode. There we yeah. go. So um, oh, go ahead. Nicole, when you're figuring out the cost of attendance, one chunk of that is going to be just based on what the school's tuition is. But in general, the stuff, the amount that you're adding to the top of that should be relatively the same because most people need the same day-to-day -day needs, right? So what would you say is the amount that students end up taking out on top of the particular institution's tuition costs? Probably, uh, it's close to about 20000 uh, For a year. Correct, okay. yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Another way to finance or help finance your education is through scholarships and grants and I know you put together an extensive list every year to try to help students um, get as many of those scholarships and grants as possible. Do you want to go through a little bit of, of those on the list or the ones that stand out to you? So we have actually the, the website is a, is a great place to refer people to for the scholarships. There, our scholarship page lists the different a couple of the scholarships. Um, we don't have time to vet every little scholarship. So we list the major ones out there. And then we also list some, what would be more like a scholarship database where you set up a profile and go fish and then, yeah, yeah. Go fish. <laughs> and then you get emails. So uh, 
things like the the scholarship databases they are they have staff to vet every scholarship and really look at the legitimacy of it. So that's where we would refer students to, for some smaller scholarships. But we also email students when the applications come open for some of the larger ones so that they know it's open and when the deadline's approaching. So we do that every, most of those come open in the spring. You just did one today. I did do one today. <laughs> <laughs> Many, many ways to finance. Do any of those communications tie in with the new software system that uh, Student Services just got with the personalized URL pages and things like that, or no? So not what I'm sending. I, for our newly accepted students, I, I do, I use WebAdmit. Okay. Um, the other new system Makes that sense. you're referring to is really around recruiting and admission yep. Yep. Uh, and, and tracking students that... Uh, maybe interested before they're close to applying through WebAdmit. Yep. So we definitely try to think about our current students and then our students that would be coming in. Yeah, for sure. How receptive are you to prospective students reaching out and contacting you to see if you might be able to help them you know, figure out if um, if they're able to finance She's through waving her hands the no, avenues? No, no, no. <laughs> No, she's not. <laughs> no, that I mean, that's part of what we do. That's part of why we have a financial aid office and have, um, besides myself, we have Carlene Wallace that's in financial aid. We actually do that on a daily basis. We uh, consider our office to have an open door policy, and that means open email, open phone, uh, open door when uh, students can stop by. I had students stop by today and ask me about scholarships already. So funny, she closes her door every time I come around. <laughs> she hears you coming and slams it shut. Uh, I noticed that. <laughs> so that's good to know. So if yeah. you don't mind, we'll put your info in the episode notes as well. Yeah. Like Nicole, you got to help me with these loans. Her personal gotta, address. I got to get these paid off. Can you help me out? And that's a good point too. You got any I mean, scholarships for me? I am a resource for our faculty and staff as well. Oh, oh you are? Mm -hmm. Really? Uh, maybe oh, you need to make an appointment, maybe I Dennis. Should. Let's talk this over. <laughs> she can help you navigate that. Oh, that's so funny. Well, now that we are about what, a year and a half away from graduating our first class? This will be our first time, um, well, I guess your first time kind of navigating the exit, the exiting portion. Mm -hmm. um, do you know what, what you're going to say to them or how, or how they can prepare for the next step once they're not, no longer in school and this chapter is over for them? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of things that we'll be covering with students about, uh, you know, what to expect along the way repayment, uh, especially since we have private student loans, does refinancing make sense? And at what point does it make sense? So we'll be offering a lot of different resources to students to help navigate residency and beyond, because again, they're, they're not expected to repay during that residency. So I anticipate we'll continue to be a resource for students well beyond uh, graduation. Yeah, once they become alumni, technically. Yes. <laughs> and then you send them links for like Dave Ramsey and other programs like that. <laughs> wow. If you don't drink Starbucks, you exactly. can pay off your loans. Skip the Starbucks. I'm personally attacked by his you philosophy. Can, you on can that. walk to work. You don't need a car. <laughs> Just ride your bike. Ride your bike. <laughs> on the freeway. <laughs> oh, that's funny. 
Well, those were all the questions that I had. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Nicole? Mm, I'll have to, I have to think about it. I wasn't quite sure what the format would be, so I didn't come prepared with anything. Um, no, this is great. <laughs> yeah, so I, I do think it's just important to note that our office, we're really here to help students navigate the process, whatever that looks like for them. Everybody's situation is unique. So we try to provide tools and resources and information that the student can then use to make the best decision for themselves and their own situation. What about, can you talk a little bit more about the scholarships though? Just as far as, how, you know, there must be a number of scholarships that are giving you a few thousand dollars or maybe hundreds of dollars. Um, yeah. Can you speak to maybe some more of the, uh, the scholarships, if there are any that would make a more significant impact on, on somebody's uh, medical school participation? Yeah, so besides the Health Professions Scholarship Program, um, there's also the National Health Scholars Corps, and it's a similar program where they're covering tuition and fees, providing a stipend, but the student has to know up front that they're interested and want to pursue primary care. So I think that's what keeps a lot of students, just because maybe they're not sure when you're just starting. Um, You might have a couple of things in mind of what you want to be doing. So that one's a little bit more unique, but similar in the service component that if you are selected for a four-year scholarship that you owe four years back in a rural hospital setting. Um, We do have some students that have been selected for that opportunity as well, uh, but it is even more competitive than the HPSP. Uh, I believe based on the number of applications they get versus the number of awards that they make, they maybe award 5% of their applicants, wow. like 5 wow. or 10. Wow. Um, so it's it's a very, very competitive program. So it's I think it's amazing that we have two students that were selected for that. <laughs> yeah. Wow, we do. That's, we that's do. fabulous. They're in the class of 2023, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. we have our own internal scholarship fund, right? We do have a scholarship fund. Um, right now, the primary source of... Of contributions to that as employees giving from yeah, I know, their paychecks. I, know. I was hoping you'd get on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're trying to build up more scholarship opportunities, and to that end, the institution has uh, did start a five hundred one c three, so a nonprofit organization that can assist with developing more scholarship opportunities for our students. And then they're also looking at some other ways to assist students. So maybe uh, with local corporations getting some help with loan repayment or different things like that. So we have some avenues we're pursuing to try to assist students pre and post enrollment uh, with with funding education. And are we privy to any opportunities, maybe more than average, because we're the only school in Idaho, as opposed to a state where you've got multiple medical schools, osteopathic and MD schools vying for the same sort of uh, pot of money or opportunities or anything like that? Uh, the state of Idaho has a long-standing relationship with WAMI, so the funding right now that is concentrated towards medical students, uh, and, it, and like I mentioned, it is very long-standing, so that's where currently the funding from our state is being focused. Gotcha. 
the state of Montana did. Uh, yeah, a I was wondering if we could talk about that. A year and a half ago, um, passed some legislation to provide scholarship monies to students from Montana. So we'll see that developing over the next several years. That's great. And that was a sig- significant amount, right? We're it was. About, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And hopefully later this spring, we'll be able to announce um, a loan repayment program that our 501c3 has been working on for a while. So some interesting and exciting stuff to look forward to (laughs) as well. Cool. That's great. That's great. uh, I think it is important that we have a variety of options for students, just so like like we were saying before, we don't know what we're missing right now, right? But we want to have as much diversity as we can in all aspects. So to open up the applicant pool would, would be wonderful. Awesome. Well, if you have any financial aid-related questions, you can go ahead and find Nicole's contact information in the episode notes and reach out to her. We'll also put her colleague, um, Carlene Wallace's information on there as well. So, Nicole, you're not the only one being bombarded. And feel free to reach out and um, ask your questions. Brian, why don't you wake up? Uh, what? Oh. <laughs> Thank you for being here. <laughs> nice. Well, he's, he's uh, yeah, thanks, Nicole. Yeah. Thank you. He's back for two minutes and is already cracking jokes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know. What, do you run this place? You know, yeah. in my mind. <laughs> From his house. <laughs> it's good to see you in person, Remotely. though. I know, I know. It's great. Well, awesome. Thank yeah. you, Nicole. Yeah, thanks thank for you. being here. Thanks a lot, Nicole. Appreciate yeah, no it. problem. Thank you. Bye. 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 The Compod is proudly powered by ICOM and produced by me, Brian Atkinson. For more information about Idaho College of Osteopathic Medicine, check out our website at idahocom.org. Thanks for listening.